Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Blog Talk Radio. October 31st, 2016 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, lots of politics today, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and I am happy to say that I'm doing better than one year ago today because... I remember that one year ago today, I was having to go back and forth to a hospital for infusions of antibiotics for an infection that I had for treating that kidney thing. Those of you who have followed me for a long time knew about the kidney surgery I had to have last year. So doing much better than a year ago, at least uh, in terms of health, right? So this is all good. And we have a lot of news to talk about today. I'm, I'm laughing at some of the things that People over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio are saying because they, you know, I was asking how everybody's doing and they're saying, uh, you know, fine, how are you? And I say, well, I've got a bit of what we call crow overload because of all this news about Hillary Clinton that is coming out right now. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the term about the crow in objectivism, we have this phrase, the crow epistemology, and it just stands for the idea that there are only so many concretes you can hold in your head at the forefront of your consciousness at one time before you drop some of them, at least. You can't hold them all at once. And you could talk about an analogy in the computer of RAM, you know, the memory of RAM, how much can be held in the working memory at one time, things like that. So we talk about the crow, and then everyone in here is talking about crow sandwiches and deep fried crow and given that my crow is kind of overloaded by news right now i yeah let's let's go let's deep fry it i'm i'm all for that so anyway thank you guys for a laugh as we start to tackle this the title of today's show is the rule of law versus hillary clinton and yes that should sound familiar to you i put a question mark at the end because we don't know exactly what the effect of all of the most recent legal, uh, what, do you, what do you want to call it, legal pending actions, what, what the effect of this is going to be on her campaign. 
So it still remains a question, but we are looking at this issue from a much different angle than we did back in July, in which I had the show called Hillary Clinton versus the rule of law. And I had James Valiant come and help me out with that one. But, um, you know, we were talking about the fact that Hillary Clinton seemed like she was getting special treatment under the law when she was not indicted, you know, when the FBI made the decision not to indict her for mishandling of classified information. You know, here's the FBI director giving a statement in which he's laying out, in effect, a good case for her to be indicted and yet announcing at the same time the decision not to indict her. Very puzzling, very disturbing to so many people. Apparently, also so many people within the FBI. This is a rumor that's being corroborated in some news sources, and we'll talk about that today. So now that FBI Director Comey has sent a letter to Congress telling Congress, informing Congress that he is not necessarily reopening the investigation because supposedly these investigations aren't ever really closed. It's, it's always kind of ongoing and they're supposed to keep their eyes open for additional evidence. But he took this step of informing them that there is this new evidence, this potential trove of new evidence that's related to the investigation and that they will be looking at it. So this is a significant step. It is, of course, casting a very, you know, big shadow over Hillary Clinton's campaign. We are starting to see evidence that it's having an effect on the poll numbers. We'll look at some of the latest polls here today as well. So we're going to try to make sense of this. Um, I'm going to be asking you, of course, for any predictions that you might have, any impressions that you have, et cetera. And if you want to call in and discuss this with me, the number to do so is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And when you do call in, if you want to do more than just listen, some people call in and just listen to the show. If you want to talk on the show, then hit the one button, I believe is what it is, and that will give me a little question icon, and then I'll know that you're there. Uh, there was a brief audio drop I'm hearing there. Hopefully the sound quality will hold up. Do continue to keep me informed here in the chat room. And we'll do this. Mo in the chat room is saying, yes, it is a fascinating cycle. If only the implications weren't what they are. And I trust, Mo, what you're talking about is that we're going to have Donald Trump and that that's potentially an equally bad, maybe even worse disaster, some people argue. And, you know, for me, I don't know which of these two would be worse for us. We have, you know, Trump who is really bad along several axes. And we have Clinton, who is really bad along several axes. And we're learning more and more and more. What I, you know, I'm in California, right? So if I vote, my vote is not going to matter in terms of who's going to get the uh, electoral votes from my state. It's going to be Hillary Clinton regardless. You know, I'm actually friends uh, with, you know, quite an activist homosexual liberal on Facebook. And I really love this guy, but the poor guy, it's like he's loyal to Hillary to the end. I'm with her. I'm with her. I'm with her. And it's simply on this issue, I believe, of homosexual rights. And granted, 
from what I understand, Pence is terrible on discrimination against homosexuals and everything else. You know, we, we could talk about this. I think there should be a legal right to discriminate against homosexuals, but I think it's morally horrible to discriminate against homosexuals, you know, so I would, I would probably not get along with Pence very much on this issue, but it's like, you know, why does my friend, my liberal friend have to ignore the existence of Gary Johnson? If you're really in this for homosexual rights and, and, you know, fighting discrimination against homosexuals, Johnson's there. He's a good guy. He's not corrupt. Why throw all of your celebrity and weight and everything else, you know, whatever you can manage for your list behind Hillary Clinton, which is, you know, something that's getting more and more embarrassing every single day. John Roberts in the chat room is saying that Trump will win Tennessee. I voted for Johnson. Yeah. Uh, Tim says Trump is more impeachable. Well, that's interesting, right? Trump is more impeachable. So you vote for the one that if he's really bad, you could get him out. That's an interesting angle. I, li- I like that angle. There are not very many good choices here. Uh, just Jean in the chat room says, it seems lots of people are ignoring the choice of Johnson Weld. I think it's because of the incredibly high stakes in this election. And that's something else that I am going to talk about on this show. I've got over in the program notes my little anecdotal evidence contribution to the horrible effects of Obamacare. Oh, brief audio drop, people are saying over there. Okay, I don't know. I don't think it's me here. Um, Let me go ahead and I'm going to mute the microphone for a second and just check all the connections so I don't give you weird sounds as I do so. Okay, on the off chance that it was my microphone, we'll see if this is going to help a little bit. I did find something slightly loose, so let's see how we do with this, okay? So again, over the blog, don'tletitgo.com, that's where you're going to see the program notes for everybody, everything that I want to talk about today. You might really want to get over there because we do have a lot to keep up with. And again, the number to call in if you want to give your predictions about the effect of all this or your impressions of... Julian Assange and what he's been doing with WikiLeaks. If you want to talk about Comey and what you think of him, given that potentially he has violated certain protocols, whether explicit or implicit about announcing this, you know, kind of renewed investigation, refreshed investigation, so close to an election. These are all the issues that you might, you know, have, some opinion on that, you know, it it might actually be relevant to what you're, what you're thinking about these issues. Again, 760-888-5817 is the number to call. So the first story that I've got up on the queue in the program notes is one from Newsweek. And I thank Glenn Jameson for sending it along. It is Newsweek's attempt to essentially pour cold water on the news of this investigation, trying to basically say that there's not very much that you could learn from it at this point, you know, that it's, it's all a bunch of nothing and that basically Comey is, thro- is calling the election into question without anything solid uh, to, to back that up. 
It says the disclosure by the FBI late on Friday, October 28th, that it had discovered potential new evidence in its inquiry into Hillary Clinton's handling of her personal email when she was Secretary of State has virtually nothing to do with any actions taken by the Democratic nominee. According to government records and an official with knowledge of the investigation who spoke to Newsweek on condition of anonymity. And then what they go through is they go through all of, you know, kind of what their analysis of the situation is. And they say that it's all about the fact that Huma Abedin, her chief aide, would maybe transfer emails that she wanted to print it out, you know, print out to her private laptop. And that this is really what all of this is about. It says she maintained four email accounts. Aberdeen maintained four email accounts, an unclassified State Department account, another on the ClintonEmail.com domain, and a third on Yahoo. The fourth was linked to her husband's account. She used it to support his activities when he was running for Congress. They say Abedin, who did not know Clinton used a private server for her emails, told the Bureau in an April interview that she used the account on ClintonEmail.com domain only for issues related to the Secretary's personal affairs, such as communicating with friends, etc., right? But then it says that Clinton preferred to read documents on paper, so the emails and other files were often printed out and provided to her either at her office or home delivered in a diplomatic pouch by a security agent. You know, talk about courting more risk, right? Abedin, like many State Department officials, found the government network technology to be cumbersome, not surprising, had great trouble printing documents there. So what she would do is transfer emails from her unclassified State Department account to either her Yahoo account or her account on Clinton's server and then print the emails from there because it was more user-friendly. Uh, not clear whether she ever transferred official emails to the account that she used for her husband's campaign. So she was using all of this procedure to print documents. Uh, they're saying that there's no evidence that the laptop was used to send emails from Aberdeen to Clinton. Um, and they're saying none of those emails is, are the ones being examined by the FBI. Uh, and they're saying that Clinton might not have even known what device her aide was using to transmit this information. Um, you know, there's one thing I wanted to say right at the beginning of this, Newsweek says it has nothing to do with what Hillary Clinton has done. It's nothing to do with her conduct. Well, it does have to do with her conduct. Why? Because Abedin, top most trusted aide, and here is her aide potentially doing something really stupid in the handling of these emails, especially if there's classified information in these emails that she's simply transferring to her personal laptop in order to print. That is really sloppy, right? This is not ensuring that classified information is handling, you know, being handled in the way that it should be. So it does have to do with the actions of Hillary Clinton. It has to do with the fact that she has trusted this woman, and this this woman may have may have made a, a serious lapse of judgment. They're saying, okay, Comey's decision to immediately reveal the discovery of all of these emails. Apparently there's 650,000 emails on this laptop and how quickly they can sift through these and decide which ones are potentially relevant has been a subject of discussion out there on social media. Some people are saying that you could use a, you know, a computer algorithm 
and scan these fairly quickly and sort out the ones that are potentially relevant and that maybe this could even be done in a few days as some people have speculated you know go ahead and announce this and then go you know within a few days scan through it and say oh there's nothing there and everything's peachy keen and then give Hillary Clinton the final boost just before the election there are other articles that are saying no this is going to take a lot of time and we're not going to hear the results of the investigation until long after the election. We've got Democratic members of Congress insisting that Comey, by the end of the day today, give them a report basically on what sort of information he thinks he's going to be looking at. They want to put some cold water on this as soon as possible, as you can imagine, right? Anyway, it says uh, in September he had testified the Bureau had completed the review of the evidence and had found no crimes. With the discovery of the information on the laptop shared by Weiner and Aberdeen, the sworn statement was no longer true. There was new evidence that needed to be examined. As a result, he felt that he was obligated to inform the committees as quickly as possible. Now, I was talking with a friend about this and speculating because there is a series of congressional hearings that are coming up. I guess as soon as Congress returns from the lame duck session, Chavitz wants to have all of these hearings and re-explore some of these issues and perhaps look at the FBI directly. And my concern was, you know, is Comey doing this simply to try to placate Congress and, you know, kind of remove the sting of whatever the hearings is that they're going to be doing? What is, you know, and everyone's speculating, why is he doing this? What does it mean? Is there going to be actual real evidence there? Another speculation that people have been talking about is the fact that when he is making this the subject of an FBI investigation, then he is making it so that these emails, the content of these emails will not be released, the content of these emails uh, from being released to the public before the election so that, in fact, he's doing something to help Hillary not sure if it's true, though, because I think that the effect on her poll numbers has been quite negative from from what I've seen so far. Um, Now, Comey has described the letter to Congress as an attempt to thread a needle, amend his testimony while not disclosing the details of an ongoing investigation. And this is the problem that Newsweek has with it, because they're saying the combination created a circumstance where politicians are filling in the blanks. Trump has been doing a good job of this, by the way. Uh, And they're saying, you know, creating a storyline of corruption that was not justified by the evidence developed by the Bureau. And what, you know, Newsweek is asserting is that there's no evidence, for example, at this point, that any of the emails that they're finding on this laptop are emails deleted by Hillary Clinton from her own server, right? That's the interesting piece that might be the case here is that there are going to be emails on this laptop that Hillary Clinton herself deleted from her own server as supposedly not work-related, but you're going to find in here maybe that not only was it work-related, but it contained classified information and that Hillary Clinton and or her subordinates deleted these emails as part of the cover-up in the investigation. Um, There is a tremendous amount at stake. Um, Anyway, Newsweek is trying to throw cold water on it. That is clear. They are still, I guess, with her 
in this. And, you know, again, what's going to come of it, I don't know. Over here in the chat room. Yeah, all four were unclassified accounts, as I understand it, just Jean. Another audio drop a minute ago. Uh, you know, it, it's it's always suspicious when I'm discussing these things that I'm having these audio drops. As far as I know, everything is connected well here. I can check one more. No, this is all solid. This is good stuff. Hillary can pardon herself as president, says Tim Pack. Yeah. Mo says, isn't it unethical to keep the news of the reopen investigation out of the public? That's one angle, right, is that if there is a reopening of the investigation, and particularly this person could be president of the United States very soon, then at least out of integrity, you would want to let people know that there is further relevant information and that investigation is ongoing. So there's that, right? But then on the other side, this is what people are arguing. People are saying that, look, um, it's very close to an election. And if he's not giving an indication of how solid the evidence is, how important this evidence is, and he is causing speculation so close to election day, that that in and of itself is irresponsible. Now, predictably, Hillary, when she's been out on the road, is urging people to vote early. Why is she urging people to vote early? Because she is scared of everything that's going to be learned between now and Election Day. In fact, I'm going to talk in a, you know, a second about a WikiLeaks bombshell that was dropped just today, and I'm sure that there are more to come. This is a corrupt woman, right? And we are thinking of electing her as president of the United States, it is just unbelievable to me that we might have a President Clinton amidst all of these scandals, someone who's elected by nice people like my liberal gay friend on Facebook. I tried, you know, and and he's really out there. He's out there just, you know, given all these anti-Trump links and these pro-Hillary links and, you know, talking about homosexual rights and, and how, how important it is to elect Hillary. And I, I wrote to him, I said, hey, you know, I'm no fan of Trump either, but Hillary Clinton, this corruption, why not Johnson? No answer. No answer at all. Just complete evasion. And that's really what you have to do. You have to evade and or drink, I think, to vote for this woman. Um can she be elected posthumously? Oh, my gosh. You know, and there, the memes that are out there about, you know, who's going to show up with a mysterious death and everything, it's sadly not so funny, right? They just got a search warrant yesterday, says Tim. Yeah, that is part of the news that they just did get the search warrant yesterday. Uh, even though they got the search warrant, though, apparently it could take quite a bit of time. That is according to a daily mail article we're going to get into a couple daily mail articles here in a second one is this one that i found last night exclusive resignation letters piling up from disaffected fbi agents his wife urging him to admit he was wrong why director comey jumped at the chance to reopen hillary investigation you know again in discussions uh, with a friend in past few days i've been speculating you know what if this is his chance to restore integrity to himself, right? Um, 
I mean, there are people who thought he was reasonable in doing what he did. Governor Bill Weld, for heaven's sake, was one of the people who said, oh, yeah, you know, a reasonable prosecutor wouldn't do this. But it sounds like Comey has had some qualms about it. And in particular, you know, we've seen the story from Fox News, whether some people find it credible or not is a different story. But Fox News did an interview with an informant where that person was saying that the decision not to indict was a top-down decision and that many people, you know, particularly the career prosecutors and agents in the FBI, were not pleased with the investigation. So if you think you're Director Comey and you have all of these qualified, experienced career prosecutors and agents at the FBI who are really upset at what he did back in July... And here you've got this chance, right? We don't know yet what's in the laptop. Maybe he doesn't know what's in the laptop. Some people are speculating that there's a good chance that there are going to be on this laptop emails that Hillary Clinton deleted and that Aberdeen happened to forward to the laptop for printing. That would be rich if it turns out to be that. The question is, are we going to learn about it in time to do anything? Or is it, you know, Hillary's going to be elected? Any investigation into, you know, whether she rigged the election is not going to yield anything. She's going to take office and she's going to pardon herself. And we're going to have four years of Hillary Clinton shoving socialized medicine down our throats amidst scandals that she's going to be able to deflect like Teflon. This is our nightmare, right? We don't know. And I mean, it makes it exciting, right? Um, I haven't watched House of Cards, but I hear what this is like as a real-time episode of, of House of Cards that we're watching happen here. And so in, in that sense, I guess it's exciting, but it is a bit crow overloading. So this story from Daily Mail is attributing this reopening of the investigation to pressures from the rank and file, the career experienced rank and file in the FBI, plus pressure from his wife. A wife is always a good conscience for people, right? And that he has not been pleased with it. And he's using, you know, the emails, the 650,000 emails on this laptop, in effect, as an excuse to reopen this. For me, I would add to the pressure that he's experiencing the pressure of the impending congressional hearings. And that would also make sense. And, you know, again, you have to imagine that the, even though he's not reopening this investigation due to WikiLeaks, which is what I first thought when I very first heard the news, the first thing I thought of was God bless Julian Assange, right? I thought it was, this was about WikiLeaks. I didn't realize it was about this laptop, you know, and I posted God bless Julian Assange. I could not bring myself to post what I guess I should have posted, which is God bless Anthony Weiner. Um you know, you you could talk about the fact that the corruption of the two, Anthony Weiner and Julian Assange, is comparable, that Assange has been guilty of putting out some anti-American propaganda. And maybe I've even fallen prey a little bit to some of that. And hopefully I'll get a chance to talk about that from Assange. But I much more affinity for Assange and, and the things that he's doing that are breaking the rules, in fact, maybe breaking laws than anything that Anthony Weiner has ever done in his entire existence. So I'm glad I made the mistake. And, and I do believe that the information that's coming out of WikiLeaks is having an effect on the FBI. Whether the FBI, upon reopening this, is going to be able to take into account some of the things that's in the WikiLeaks, 
I don't know, but we are seeing plenty of evidence of corruption in the WikiLeaks. And, you know, the combination of this reopen investigation and the solid information that's coming out of WikiLeaks may be enough. It might be enough to destroy her chances. Justine says, was, was Abedin one of the people who was granted immunity by the FBI? As far as I know, she has not been granted immunity at this point. They say that she is cooperating. Uh, but, of course, the story that I read a bit ago was saying that she has asserted that she was unaware of the fact that Clinton was using a private server to handle any you know, State Department business and potentially classified information. Mo says it's sad that I trust WikiLeaks more than nearly all media sources. Well, I don't know that it's sad. So let me just go to the big bombshell that was released just a bit ago today. And by the way, so this is what WikiLeaks does. And and to me, I find it just mind boggling to, to sort through. They'll just dump a whole bunch of emails from Podesta's account. And the emails, some of them will just be, you know, like the type of solicitation emails that any of us get in our email inbox every day. Those are not deleted. Uh, Then there's going to be stuff, you know, he's on political emailing lists, so it's just generic political stuff. And then there are the juicy emails that actually have some, you know, potentially damning substance to them. It's all mixed up in there, and there's thousands of these emails. And, you know, yeah, you could spend all day going through and sifting through them, and it would be really interesting to do so. And that sense of discovery, like if you were the first to get to a certain batch of emails and find the really, you know, smoking gun that's in there and release it out to the world, that's awesome. But if you don't have time to do that, one thing you can do is you can follow or at least just go visit the WikiLeaks account on Twitter. And that's what I was doing this morning because what they do at WikiLeaks is, okay, they dump all this stuff. They release little tidbits themselves, right? They actually do dig in and they give you some important tidbits themselves. However, what they also do is they'll retweet news stories that analyze the information that's coming out here. So you can, and you know, and of course they're retweeting the stuff that's going to be accurate and actually give you what they intended to release. So I think that's a good source. If you're interested in kind of keeping up to date on the potential smoking guns within this huge trove of email data, then just follow WikiLeaks on Twitter, and I think you can get a lot there. Let me give you just the little latest today. This is the bombshell, and this is the sort of bombshell that validates WikiLeaks. Because if you recall what happened um, you know, several weeks ago, right, is there was a bunch of WikiLeaks about the DNC and the corruption within the DNC and the potential that Hillary Clinton, her campaign via the DNC helped to rig the primary so that she won over Bernie Sanders. You know, I mean, think about that. We've got, you know, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton both amidst scandals right now. We'll talk about the Trump scandal. I don't know what to make of it in a little bit here, but you know, what if we ended up with Pence and Kane, right? And, you know, people hardly know anything about either of these two and we're supposed to vote as between them. That would be bizarre. Imagine that if there hadn't been either, you know, on Trump's side, the unethical smearing of Ted Cruz that he did, if there hadn't been on Hillary Clinton's side, the outright rigging of the primary, 
and I'll, you know, again, I'll give you this bombshell in a second. If we hadn't had that, we might have had Cruz versus Sanders. Imagine a Cruz versus Sanders debate that could have focused on ideas and, you know, given the fact that we've got the mixed economy system and we've got very religious candidates in the Republican Party and everything else, it's not perfect, but you would have the closest that would be possible today to having the two polar extremes of the ideas. You'd, you'd have, you know, pro-capitalist on one side and pro-socialist on the other side, and you could have a real debate the substance of these two sides but what have we had we've had basically a lot of finger pointing and one side saying that other side is corrupt that other side is not qualified is a loose cannon whatever and you know very little discussion of the actual political issues that are that are facing our country anyway here's the bombshell i wasn't doing that on purpose i promise i wasn't trying to uh increase the suspense. They do this on all the shows. I'm, I should learn how to do this, right? To just increase the suspense. So here it goes. Donna Brazil, who is the Democrat National Committee interim chairwoman, and she was a former CNN contributor, she leaked not just one, but at least two questions, debate questions, to the Hillary Clinton campaign team during the primaries. There was an email in the latest dump dated March 5th, 2016. Brazil sent a note to Clinton's campaign chairman, Podesta, and the Democratic nominee's director of communications, Jennifer Palmieri, titled, quote, one of the questions directed to HRC tomorrow is from a woman with a rash, end quote. Poor amateur. Doesn't she know that she shouldn't put anything in the subject header? she's going to do something like this anyway it's metadata right it says the body of brazil's email read quote her family has lead poison and she will ask what if anything will hillary do as president to help the people of flint you know flint michigan end quote she says folks i did a service project today it's so tragic and what's worse some homes have not been tested and it's important to encourage seniors to also get tested, she wrote. So not only is she feeding the question, she's trying to tell Hillary Clinton what she thinks she should answer, what she should include in the answer in order to appeal to the audience of CNN. So on March 6th, during a Democratic primary debate in Flint, Michigan, Clinton fielded a question from Leanne Walters, one of the city's first residents to report having issues with water contamination. Quote, after my family, the city of Flint, and the children in D.C. were poisoned by lead, will you make a personal promise to me right now that as president in your first 100 days in office, you will make it a requirement that all public water systems must remove all lead service lines throughout the entire United States and notification made to the citizens that have said service lines? And then what she say? I agree completely. I want to go further, though. Commitment to get rid of lead wherever it is. It's also in the soil and everything else. So in any event, it looks like there was leaking and this is collusion with the media in United States. And this is a very scary, scary thing to see. So this is the bombshell today. Uh, we know that Brazil was removed from the DNC. So what is she, the fifth person to have been removed from the staff at the DNC? Mo was saying in the chat room, but Russia, guys, Russia is trying to influence our election. Right. 
and, and this is the answer that the Hillary Clinton campaign has had so far to the substance of these. But if the substance of them is valid, and particularly if the DNC is having to take action on the basis of them, that's really troubling, right? Um, what would be the ethical thing to do? What should Hillary Clinton have done? Hillary Clinton should have reported that this was forwarded to her, uh, inform whoever it was who was hosting and, and you know moderating that particular debate that she had been fed this question and that they should probably exclude that question in the interest of fairness. But we don't see any evidence of this. She was more than willing to take this. We haven't seen any evidence of her disavowing it. And I would say that that's fairly damning evidence. So what do we have? We have the WikiLeaks out there. We are starting to see, you know, a a trickle of this stuff. I imagine we're going to see more to come. If you happen to see some breaking news from the WikiLeaks Twitter feed, I guess I should go ahead and try to follow that simultaneously while I'm doing a live show. Let me see if I can go ahead and get that window up here. Um, I guess you can go to WikiLeaks directly, but I like to actually follow the Twitter feed myself because it gives me the little sound bites. But yeah, it's the Podesta emails part 24 that's been released. Another big story, and it is still at the top of WikiLeaks, and it's something that I also had from a Daily Mail story earlier today. Let me get it here. Yeah, okay, here we go. There's so much news, I'm getting a little bit overwhelmed. FBI agents wanted to investigate the Clinton Foundation, but were barred by their bosses at the Justice Department, right? And this is a huge aspect of this scandal, not just the mishandling of the classified information that shows, you know, a tremendous irresponsibility by the part of Clinton. And again, I disagree with Newsweek. This is about actions taken by Clinton, namely her reliance on her aide, Huma Abedin, who looks like she has been very irresponsible herself with the information. So um, it is something for which Clinton does have to take responsibility. But moreover, there's a lot of evidence of corruption in the Clinton Foundation. There are, you know, foreign government donors. There's all sorts of, you know, pay to play in terms of huge fees for speaking and huge fees in order to ensure the presence of one or the other of the Clintons at particular events uh, so that there would be access to the Clintons by heads of state, of foreign governments, etc. Says the FBI agents in New York spent a year investigating the Clinton Foundation. The Department of Justice said there was not enough evidence to continue. And then, of course, now we know the agents found Clinton emails on a computer owned by Anthony Weiner. So all of this is starting to come together into a very big problem for Hillary Clinton. So the FBI has spent the past year investigating the Clinton Foundation over claims they were trading access for donations to the charity, leading to friction between the Bureau and the Justice Department. Agents in New York and Little Rock have been leading the probe but have been ordered by senior officials in Washington and the Justice Department to scale back the extent of the probe due to lack of evidence. Well, if they have a lack of evidence, I think WikiLeaks is filling in the gap 
just to put it mildly. I mean, as I talked about it last week, even the New York Times is finding it necessary to start covering this. They are trying to minimize it, but they are also covering this and and some of the ethical qualms that have come up. The row emerged over the weekend in the aftermath by dis- the you know of the decision by Comey to announce that the bureau has reopened the investigation less than a fortnight, 14 days before the election. Last February, according to Wall Street Journal, the FBI updated the Justice Department on its investigation into the Clinton Foundation, but the officials at Justice did not believe that the FBI had found any significant evidence of corruption that would warrant the continued investigation. However, when Comey decided in July that the use of the the private email server did not warrant production, FBI agents in New York restarted the probe. By August, there was increased tension because they learned about the continued FBI investigation. The Justice Department learned about this, and they feared that a probe so close to the election could be viewed as political interference. Ha. That's what they feared. Now, what they feared, the officials in Washington, is that their lady that they are counting on Hillary Clinton to extend the transformation, the fundamental transformation of America. They're scared that she's not going to get elected. They're not scared about an appearance of impropriety. They're scared that their woman is not going to get in. So the FBI agents in New York wanted access to laptops surrendered by two of Clinton's former staff under the terms of a plea agreement to search the machines for evidence relating to their charity investigation. However, the access was denied as the plea agreements only extended the emails directly relating to possible national security issues. Hmm. So imagine they get immunity. There's a plea agreement. That's a done deal. There's nothing else you can get in exchange. And what is it that you get? You get only the emails about the mishandling not the national security issues. And again, this is a national security issue because we are talking about influence over a potential president, probably still the leader, right? If you go to 538, I bet they're still predicting that she's the one who's going to win. I'll have to go check that just to make sure because it could change minute by minute as far as I know. But here she is going to be the next president and she has been influenced by foreign political leaders monetarily. Her monetary well-being, her her bank accounts have been influenced by leaders of foreign countries. And many, you know, we're talking foreign dictatorships. Very, very disturbing. And it's even more disturbing that the so-called Justice Department was squelching the investigation. Now, if you went over now with this story and you were going to question Loretta Lynch, the head of the Justice Department, about this, you know, whether it was, you know, that they squelched the investigation, don't they think that it would be warranted to reopen this in light of some of the information that has come out in the WikiLeaks? WikiLeaks, again, they've been validated. The WikiLeaks have been validated. You can look at the metadata to validate them, but you can also look at the actions of the DNC, the actions that the DNC has taken due to the content of these WikiLeaks. I would say that the FBI would be warranted in reopening this investigation. What would Loretta Lynch say? Well, recently, Loretta Lynch has been accused of pleading the fifth. She hasn't exactly pled the fifth, right? Because when you plead the fifth, you're doing so in 
a proceeding, you know, an actual lawful proceeding of some kind in which you are compelled to answer a question unless you plead the fifth. That has not happened yet, but I do know that in response to an inquiry to the Justice Department, to Loretta Lynch, about the so-called ransom payments to Iran, payments to Iran that are looking more and more like ransom payments, in response to an inquiry about that, Loretta Lynch has refused to answer any of the Republican senators' questions. I understand that Rubio is one of the senators who has forwarded these questions to her. So she hasn't technically pled the fifth, but in essence, in refusing to answer the questions from senators, she is doing essentially that, and maybe they are. They're going to have to call her before Congress and force her to either answer the questions or plead the fifth. That might be coming soon. And you could suspect that she would try to do the same sort of thing if pushed about the content of this Daily Mail story. You know, did you squelch the investigation into the Clinton Foundation? It's really going to be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of weeks or so. So let me zoom over to the chat room and also the switchboard at Blog Talk Radio. Okay. What do we got here? Nobody's calling in. If you do want to call in and talk about your impressions of this, then, oh, um, Justine is asking, how did Brazil know the debate questions? I guess it must have been a debate hosted by CNN, and she was a contributor for CNN at the time. She was a former contributor for CNN and then was acting as the interim DNC chair because, of course, they had to kick out the old DNC chair due to information that was released on WikiLeaks. What is Hillary Clinton's answer so far? I mean, Hillary Clinton that I've seen is, you know, very impatient. She says, well, if you have information, then release it all now. 650,000 emails. They can't do that. Uh, They're all talking about this is a violation of protocol, that Comey shouldn't do this because it's casting taint on an election, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And those are issues I would love to hear from you about. What I'm thinking is that he believed this was important enough that in order to retain integrity as a law enforcement organization, as the head of the FBI, that he needed to do this. And or he was fearing repercussions from Congress in the upcoming hearings, and he's hoping to avoid some of that. You know, he's hoping to placate Chaffetz and and the other members of Congress so that they're not going to go after him. That's what I'm guessing. What you would like to do, though, is you would like to say, okay, it's not a pragmatic decision. It's not just because, you know, these people are angry at him, you know, the the rank and file within the FBI, that his wife is angry at him, that Congress is maybe going to do some bad stuff to him, right? Those would all be pragmatic considerations. What you would hope is that he realizes being the director of the FBI is the pinnacle of his career, that he wants to leave a legacy in which the FBI has a reputation for integrity. That's the sort of legacy that he would like to leave. And perhaps he came to realize what he did in July, in, maybe in light of new information that he's learned since then, right? Given the benefit of the doubt that in order to maintain the integrity of the FBI, that he actually has to thread the needle, as he said, indicate that there is 
potential additional information. And I, you know, I would have to hear from somebody who's familiar with the procedure as to whether he is now going to be able to also bring in some of the WikiLeaks evidence. I haven't seen any indication of this one way or the other. The reason he's reopening is because of the emails on the Wiener, Lab- uh, Wiener Abedin, say that 12 times fast, the Wiener Abedin laptop. And, you know, once he does that, once they reopen, are they then able to consider all this other evidence? Um, you know, there's another thing that's flying around right now, sort of a smoking gun. There's a recording of Hillary Clinton talking about, you know, that we should have rigged the election that took place in the Palestinian Authority, what, a decade ago or something, um, that we should have actually rigged that election. If you're going to have an election, if you're going to encourage an election, you should at least be able to guarantee the outcome. She said, this is an audio recording of Hillary Clinton doing this. There's all this information. How much of it is actually relevant to what the FBI is going to do? Will the FBI reopen the investigation into the Clinton Foundation, right? Um, If Newsweek was right in their attempt to throw cold water on this, it's not that any investigation is ever completely closed. So couldn't those investigators at the FBI bring some of this into play? I do have a call that I'm going to go ahead and grab here on the switchboard. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hi, Amy. This is Waldo. Welcome back to the show, Waldo. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, so I'm calling um, uh, mainly about one point that you mentioned at one point about your gay uh, friend on Facebook and trying to get him to, you know, not vote for Like, why is he supporting Hillary? Why not Gary Johnson? And I mean, I'm right. sort of on the same boat as you are because I'm gay. And me, me trying to convince my gay friends that, you know, voting for Hillary, a corrupt person and horrible individual is not good, is almost impossible for me to do because they are so focused on the issue that is central to them is like the respect of their individual rights of being with the people they love. And I mean, and being gay can be for some people such a huge part of their identity of like, and so there is almost no way for me to convince them to ever vote for anyone that is not Democrat, uh, even if it is like Gary Johnson, because they're like, oh, no, but what if Donald Trump wins? Then my rights will disappear. And it's like really hard for me to argue against that. Right, right. But, you know, now that we do have the ruling, the Supreme Court ruling in the favor of gay marriage, that's not a trivial accomplishment. And I think a lot of that would be hard to undo. I think it would also be hard to undo a lot of the anti-discrimination law. Although is, you know, a Trump as a president, Trump, would he try to undo some of that? I could see that, you know, I've, I've heard that Pence is not a friend of the homosexual community, but I'd have to look more into that myself. You know, for me, it's, again, it's, could you actually vote for this woman? And I couldn't see anybody wanting to vote for this woman. Maybe if you're homosexual, you'd say, okay, well, I can't really vote for her, but at least I could hope that she wins over the two because these two are just such a a horrible pair. And and again, everybody's got to choose 
which issue is, is more important to them and their personal life and their values, because they are forcing us to choose these days, right? You know, um, they're saying, okay, well, do you want me to cut off your left arm or your right arm? You know, what, what do you want the government to do this term of four or eight years or whatever? You want your left arm cut off or your right arm? And that's how I feel. And, you know, I feel also like I want to protest and, and vote for neither, and, and particularly with all the corruption and the sleaziness, too. I mean, Donald Trump's just got the sleaze factor going. Uh, yeah, his sleaze factor is up to 11 by now. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think this is like a big problem because I think that for people who are gay, like, um, I feel like they're being taken advantage of by the Democratic Party trying to mm-hmm. tell them, like, oh, we, like, we're going to give you equal rights of, like, marriage and all this stuff that is sort of, like, the equality of getting everyone, like, on, on board. Like, well, now that we're all on board on, like, that everyone's equal, then everyone deserves equal pay, everyone deserves free health care, everyone, you know, like, getting right. on board with that instead of, like, being how you should tell people who are gay, like you're an individual and you're free to do the choices that you want. And that's something that I think is like the wrong approach that people, that people, gay people just accept like, Oh, they're, they're, they're accepting me as equals instead of being like, instead of seeing it, they should accept you for, because you're an individual first, not that like, because everyone's the same. Um, so, I mean, I'm sort of, I guess, diverging our topic away from um, well, no, from but Trump I mean, and you know, Hillary. So, so if you know, if you when you go back, when you think of the Oberfell versus Hodges ruling that was last year, when that ruling came out, I remember that you know the thought that occurred to me is, okay, this is great. We now in the United States, you know, if you're homosexual, um, I'm not homosexual, but you know, I, I'm very sympathetic to people who are. Um, you know, you've got the right to choose your partner, you know, your long-term partner, you can marry, you can actually make that legal commitment and have it, you know, there's important effects of being married on the ability to devise, you know, property um, to the person whom you love. These, these are very important rights that have been denied to people simply because they're homosexual. So now we say, okay, this is great. You can do this. You can marry, and you can have all the legal effects of marriage. However, you cannot even choose your own health care anymore in this country, right? So it's, yeah, it's, uh, you know, equals among slaves, right? You, you can be equally a slave with everybody else is the way you might yeah, exactly. look at it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That, that, that's it's exactly sad. what I feel like is happening with a lot of people getting tricked into, like, we're all equal, we're all equal, and like equal how stronger like together our, stronger together right <laughs> oh yeah all right we're in this together like i'm <laughs> she's gonna crash and burn but we're in it together <laughs> so uh um yeah it's, it's horrible and it was really hard for me also to try it when i was telling people like i'm voting for ted cruz way back when because he stands for principles and like he's the closest thing to decency that was available at the time uh, in the, and had that had a chance in the Republican Party, people look at me like, what, you're gay and you're voting for a, a religious person who is against gay marriage. And it was, you know, and I, I had a hard time trying to justify that to people because I would talk to them about, well, what's really important is like the general direction of the country and the general uh, 
purpose of government, of individual rights, and he's the only one who talks about that at all. Um, but again, the contradictions, what's very hard for me to try to explain to people like why I, I could tolerate his uh, contradiction and um, but that's something that now is like repeating itself with like Clinton and and uh, Trump that I cannot like tell him like I, I can't tell him I'll vote for Gary Johnson because then they'll be like oh but then Hillary might lose and then the whole thing starts again right right now here's the interesting thing right so Peter Thiel has um come out in favor of Trump, right? Right. And a billionaire. He, yeah. So how does the homosexual community, have you seen any indication of, you know, is, is, he, is he the Uncle Tom of the homosexual community now? Because <laughs> he's saying, right? Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's like if you don't follow, it's almost as if, People just assume that you're supposed to be uh, a Democrat if you're gay. Uh, so yeah, uh, people. Uh, but again, and I don't. Um, I have gay friends, but I don't really have that many because I don't um, see that as like what like the clear identifying factor of me. Like some people see like this thing that they're gay, so like everything they do has to be gay or related to gay. So all their friends are gay, and all of everything is gay. So I don't really do that much. So I haven't really had the opportunity to talk up to some of my gay friends about him because it's weird to like bring him up in conversation. Like, oh, what you think of what he's doing? Um, Because they automatically think that it's crazy to vote for Trump anyway. So I'm sure they would say like they'd probably say like he's not even gay or something like that. Like almost like if (laughs) just because he's voting for Trump, his gay card is being revoked. Exactly. By someone. <laughs> yeah. So he, so he is. He's he's going to end up being the the Uncle Tom of the gay community, which is really sad because here's this guy, you know, successful, and he's done a lot, you know, for example, to go after media outlets that have unethically outed him, right? Um, right. Which I think Gawker, which I think is was an important thing to do and stuff. But you know, let's go back for me, right? people have speculated about whether we're better off under Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. I have a friend on Facebook, Paul Blair, who put an article out there on medium.com talking about how Trump is a huge danger to United States and represents more of a danger than Hillary Clinton. He puts together a pretty convincing case that we might be seeing in Trump, a fascist dictator, one who is appealing to the masses, in a very convincing way. I saw an ad from Trump this morning that looked very good. What is Trump doing right now? He's, he's posturing himself again as, or not posturing even, but you know, this is, this is his stand. He's the anti-establishment candidate. He's the one who is going to be looking out for all of us. And, you know, now what you've also seen, I didn't see this in the video, but you've seen it in some of the releases lately, that we need to, quote, drain the swamp. Drain the swamp has been a slogan that he's using to some great effect, right? This is, this is how Trump is appealing to everybody. And, you know, the fact that we are desperate to buck the establishment, we are desperate to drain the swamp, makes him appealing. But at the same time, he does have these characteristics and... You know, I mean, we're draining the, the swamp, but where are we filling the swamp with? 
Exactly. Exactly. It's it's a total wild card, and it's something that could go horribly, terribly wrong. So I, I agree with that. On the other hand, when people talk about you know the danger of a Clinton presidency and it's not that bad and everything else, first of all, I'm going to point to the corruption. And it, you know she's in there with all of this corruption. She is compromised because of the extent to which she is beholden via the foundation to these foreign interests. And that's an issue of national security, right? What is the number one job of president of the United States? I think I would say it would be to protect us as a country from foreign dangers, invaders, potential violators. I mean, well, that's, that's the right. original purpose and the commander in chief, right? That's what right. the president is supposed to do. But now through all the growth of government and the powers of the executive branch have grown so much that now it's yeah, very close to whoever's president is almost a dictator or the like every whatever he says or she says goes because right. you know, they'll just create a department that will be in charge of that thing and it'll be through executive order so then the department can bypass Congress because it's like its own separate entity and then that's that they're so we're like essentially uh, um, in a dictatorship by now uh, yeah well, and, and I mean, you know, maybe, maybe, and th- this is the thing that my friend Paul Blair was arguing. He says, well, look, because she does have this long history and she is beholden to all of these different pressure groups and, you know, connections and everything that she's had, maybe she'll be constrained in her ability to actually achieve her socialist nirvana during her presidency. Okay, well, Maybe that's true. Maybe not, though. I would say that she is going to put us on the fast track to socialized medicine, that she's got the, you know, excuse to do it because of the fact that Obamacare is a mess. She's got the way to clean up the mess, which is give a single pair. And I'm not convinced, for example, and this is the way that Blair put it. He said, well, Hillary Clinton is not going to destroy us. Hillary Clinton is going to turn us just into France and we can recover from being France. And, you know, I I could say that, I mean, to me, I almost have more confidence in France recovering from being France than in us recovering from being France, you know, and and I'm not, I'm not a master at cultural analysis. Unfortunately, I really would like to, um, you know, get a little bit more under my belt, a la Yaron Brooker or Leonard Peikoff. But, you know, some concretes come to mind. So, for example, right, one of the distinctive characteristics of Americans, the American sense of life, according to Rand, was supposed to be defiance, right? The defiance, not obedience, is the way that Americans respond to overbearing authority. I have not seen as much defiance here in the United States. And, and just to give you one anecdote that I find important, if you compare feminists in the United States to feminists in France, the feminists in France are far braver than our feminists. I don't know if you've seen those articles and I've shared them around a few times, but you know, feminists in France went out topless on the Champs-Élysées to protest ISIS, right? Um, I was going to yeah. say they have balls. Yeah, they, yeah. they don't have balls, right? But, you know, metaphorically they do. And that's amazing and awesome. Would you ever see our feminists here in the United States do that? No. What have you got? Well, I mean, you got... would be immediately criticized for, uh, you know, being uh, racism, racist, yeah. and um, 
like, I mean, this is like a side note, but like, I really like on, you know, on your phone, on, like you swipe right, and then the news news articles sort of populate themselves in there. But one of them was like, Hillary Duff has to apologize for her costume, and I'm like, what? Like, and then I clicked on it, and it was like because she dressed like a pilgrim, and her boyfriend dressed as a uh, Native American. Uh, costumes like yesterday or something and she was like my sincerest apologies blah 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 and it's like she has to like shame her like she <laughs> they can't even wear a costume for Halloween without everyone like attacking them so for wow. sure if someone tries to protest um, ISIS like, or anything they'd probably be criticized for being intolerant uh, and racist um, but anyway that's an aside uh, what we were talking about for uh, um, Trump, and like when you were talking about the science, I mean, I think a lot of that sense of life is alive very much because I think that's what all the Trump supporters are. They're being right, defiant. Right, but, but the, you know, the way. It's sort of for the wrong cause. Yeah, or, no, the way. The they, way they I know put it they is... have to be defiant, but they don't have the direction of like where that defiance should be. No, there's there's no through. there's no substance behind it. So you've you've taken the American sense of life and you've made it into a mere shell in the sense that people who have, you know, kind of what remains of the American sense of life are being drawn to Trump. I do find the magnetism of Trump, the appeal of Trump to be fairly scary, although there are some decent things that he said, but you know, I've got people in my feed out there on social media who are saying, Oh boy, this is actually a pretty good ad. It was anti-establishment ad. Well, sure it is. And, and the drain the swamp is a very good slogan, but there are scary things about Trump. Uh, other things that are different from us from France, we have a horrible education system. And I'm imagining that the French educational system is a bit better. Um, you know, give you another, I, I have all these crazy examples from, from France, right? But recently France has decided to introduce into the sex education in their schools, right? Um, like a 3d model of a female clitoris, which, I mean, this is random, right? But think about this, right? Um, in France right now, and this is also an issue of defiance against the Muslim community, um, you know, women shouldn't even be allowed to retain this organ, right? It should be like cut off through female genital mutilation. And yet the French today, it was just this year that they're saying, hey, this new 3D model exists. We're going to bring it into schools and teach it. Imagine that they're doing this there where there's this pressure from the Muslim community to be, you know, quote, conservative or chaste or whatever it is that they're pretending that the Muslim community is. Um, that is I think tremendous integrity and, and bravery. And, and I don't think that you'd ever do that here in the United States, a, because we have our own religious conservatives in the form of Christians. Right. right. But then also people would say, Oh, well, we wouldn't want to offend the Muslim community. They have a lot of danger from the Muslim community in France, maybe a lot more real physical danger on a daily basis. And yet they are doing this. So, you know, would we be able to recover from being France as much as France can recover from being France I don't know. Uh, um, so I think we need to think in the long-term effects. Because, mm-hmm. so this is, I have thought about, like, okay, we're thinking what's better to have Trump or Hillary president, and then, like, okay, what's the short-term and what's the long-term? So short-term, Hillary would just continue Obama's track and, you know, like, lead us towards socialized medicine and the growth of the um, 
of the powers of the government over us and the reduction of our individual rights at like the same time. Now, okay, you're you're you're, you're speaking, you're Waldo, you're speaking very abstractly about this, but let me give you two alarming concretes, and I've talked about this before, but I'm just going to bring it back home again. In the most recent debate, no, I think it was the second debate, not the third, the last presidential debate. This was the debate in which the two nominees were questioned about their intentions for the Supreme Court. And Hillary was very clear that the two main, and these are the only ones she discussed, the two substantive items that she discussed were, first of all, overturning Citizens United, which would have a tremendous impact on free speech. Now, some people have said, okay, yeah, that means it's going to put more restrictions on corporate speech, but then the restrictions will be on the Democrats as much as the Republicans. But as we've seen, there's a lot more corruption within the Democratic political community than there is in the Republican community. I think that that is a fair thing to say. The Republicans have been hounded mercilessly by the IRS to boot, right? So there's all this going on. Um, they don't I, have I think enough corruption. That's why Trump got through. <laughs> if they had right. more corruption, I guess like Hillary, so. Hillary became the nominee because of the corruption, right? So, uh, yeah. so yeah. obviously. Um, but you know, over overturning Citizens United is a tremendous blow to freedom of expression, and freedom of expression is what we need to keep if we're going to engage in the long-term educational campaign to change the culture to eventually get better political candidates. I mean, it seems like you could never do worse than, than Hillary and Trump, but who knows what they're going to give us in 2020. Right, but, okay, so we're talking, okay, so, but what if Trump does become president? What does that mean about the future of the Republican Party? Because then that means uh, an, uh, a borderline, like, crazy person can be the nominee for the Republican Party. You know, like the Republican Party would then like pivot into this kind of he's almost authoritarian in how he says things. Sure. And like his half and like then that means that anyone who cannot form a complete thought can be the nominee for the Republican Party. You know, it's funny when he when he gives this speech in this video that I saw this morning, he was so remarkably coherent, but it's because he was speaking from a prepared text and, and uh, you know, he probably, he probably, he probably didn't even write the text, but he delivered it so well. Um, you know, and Trump, right. Trump, Trump himself is not necessarily a friend of free speech either, but at least he right. doesn't have the stated goal of installing a Supreme court justice who will overturn citizens United. That's very, to me, very important. But the other thing uh, with Trump is there's a couple of checks that I think exist with respect to him that aren't as strong with respect to Hillary. One is you've got Republicans like Ted Cruz and Mike Lee. Uh, you know, Ted Cruz announced it explicitly in his so-called endorsement of Trump, announced explicitly his hope that politicians from both sides of the aisle in Congress and the Senate would hold Donald Trump in check. And, you know, I remember noting that at the time. So there's that, right? There's going to be that check. And, you know, an extreme version of that is not just via the political process, but then also the impeachment process. And as Tim Peck said in the chat room earlier towards the beginning of this show, Trump is more impeachable than is Hillary Clinton. So there's that. Can you believe we have to rely yeah. on this kind of stuff in making our arguments? Well, if it goes really bad, this one's easier to impeach than that other one. So I think, you know, I, I want to make sure that 
I vote for him. Again, in California, for me, it's all academic, and I can just vote Johnson and not have to vote for either of those. Or maybe I can even stay home and, and not worry about it because no doubt Hillary's going to get them electoral votes from my state. Um, but then, so then the other thing that Hillary Clinton wants to do via Supreme Court appointment is ensure so-called voter rights. So she wants to make sure that she can do things along the lines of Obama's executive amnesty and channel a whole bunch of would-be Democratic voters in for citizenship and voting rights and everything else so that the Democrats and, you know, particularly the more socialist within the Democrats can be entrenched for decades to come, potentially. So you talk about, well, short-term versus long-term, depending on what Hillary Clinton might be able to accomplish in the short-term with these Supreme Court appointments. Yeah, the Supreme Court's not the whole story, but it's a big part of the story. Who knows what the long-term would even look like at that point? You know, can we continue the long-term educational campaign to save the country or not under either of these candidates? Right. Okay, so I think you make great, great points. Like, I really think they're great points of, like, uh, of like why she is, it would be worse to have her as president than Donald Trump. So I, I, I do think you're convincing me in that direction, not that I was for either one or the other. Right. But, um, if I was in a swing state, thought, like, if I was in a swing state, <laughs> I might have a little bit of a thing, you know, would I actually cast a vote for Trump or, you know, it, but given that I'm not there, I end up to, you know, I can be this detached person who poses as rational as if, you know, I'm not torn, right? <laughs> right. Well, okay, but I, the one thing I would say about Trump being president is he would be the first, like, what does that mean for the office of the presidency that he is president? Because he, like, just the way you see him when he tries mm-hmm. to explain something, he almost makes no sense. He borderline makes no sense. Um, or right. he'll contradict himself two sentences later. Or, and then, like, what, how is he going to interact with people when he's in office? He's going to be like, oh, just do that. Like, I say so, so just do it. Or, or like, how, right. how can anyone talk to him and be like, hey, I think that we've done these studies or whatever, and, like, it looks like the best course of action is this. So my advice to you as your elected advisor is this. And he'll be like, no, I don't feel like it. I'm going to do this other thing. Like, what, you know, like, this, and what, you're right. So who, the, who will be the follow-up president to that? Like, then that means that anyone who, who, who I don't even know how to describe him because, like, I've heard good points that he has mentioned, but I don't think he, like, follows through with them. So, so that's it's, it's possible. I think is very it's bad. Possible that a, it's possible that a Ted Cruz could primary him in 2020. I could, I could see a scenario when that happened, with, you know, with that happening. So, you know, again, I don't, I don't know. I'm not telling you it's a great choice for Trump, and I do believe that there's a significant risk of the dictatorship leg. And moreover, I mean, you know, what we're dancing around is, an issue that I've taken on square on on this show with respect to Obama. And it's what I call nihilism with respect to the office of the president. If we have not seen like a tremendous increase of nihilism with respect to this office during this election cycle, I, I don't know what else there is. I mean, here we are, we're thinking of bringing Hillary Clinton in and not only does she show this trail of corruption to the extent that, you know, people who were in other offices in in government, right? You know, we're going to have other political positions within our government. Those people would probably have their classified clearances 
denied to them because of the sorts of things that Hillary Clinton has done. And I think there has been some discussion about whether they're going to pause, you know, the issuance of classified briefings to Clinton or not. I haven't heard anything concrete about that. I was just hearing some rumors. But, um, you know, that would be a serious issue. Can you imagine that you're electing a president who is not even qualified to receive a classified briefing? That's ridiculous. Uh, there's, of course, all of the, you know, kind of shadows over her husband, not only with respect to the speaking fees. You know, the WikiLeaks are showing information where they're calling, you know, they call them Bill Clinton Incorporated, and there's apparently $30 million in questionable speaking fees that make him and and therefore her because she's married to him compromised politically. So that's, you know, one element of this. And then of course there is the nihilism with respect to the office, like you're saying, Waldo, that comes from Donald Trump. Why? Uh, because he has smeared people like Ted Cruz without any real factual basis. He smeared so many people during the, the primary season um, and then now there's this issue of how he speaks to women, how he has potentially treated women. Uh, you know, the one story that I haven't talked about yet is one that was just uh, reported recently now. And they're saying that there is a court date set for a judge to review whether there is a case, whether there is actually a case against Donald Trump. Donald Trump alleged to have raped a woman who at the time that she was raped was only a 13 year old girl. And, you know, she's appearing only in the documents as Jane Doe. And supposedly there's some evidence of this. None of it has been substantiated. A case has not been a a real case has not been put on the docket. It's I think December 16 is the date that in Florida they've set for the attorneys to all meet and discuss whether this case even exists. Right. But this, you know, given what you've heard on audio of Donald Trump talking about being able to grab women, you know, in certain parts of their anatomy, et cetera, because he's powerful and rich. Um, this does, this lends this element of nihilism with respect to the office of the president. It decreases the dignity of that office. I agree. They both, they not, both not to do, mention the intellectual so. <laughs> incapacity, right? The intellectual incapacity is another element of that as well, Waldo, that I wanted to acknowledge. I think that's important too. You know, we would hopefully respect our commander in chief, our president intellectually as well. I mean, this has been a reason that in the past liberals have criticized George W. Bush because supposedly he was stupid. Um, Donald Trump, just gives you a whole new level of, of that because <laughs> you know, I, I, I love the memes that were passed around on Facebook that it would be a, you know, a direct quotation of something that Donald Trump said during a debate and the meme would ask you to diagram this sentence, you know, and <laughs> there is just no way that you could diagram this so-called purported sentence coming out of Donald Trump's mouth. Really funny stuff, unfortunately. I'm laughing at all this stuff. I'm finding myself laughing in all these, at all these things in the newsfeed. And at the same time, I feel like I should be crying about it. And, you know, you need, I, I think this just calls for a new emoji on Facebook. We need the crying, laughing, or like half sad, laughing one yeah, there is the crying like laughing, laughing because you're laughing so look. hard. But we, we need the one where you're you're half laughing, half sad. 
and Facebook just isn't giving it to us. And I think that's, that we're really kind of robbed in this election season without it. I mean, as Ayn Rand said, when you laugh or you think something's funny, it's because that can't be real. So you're laughing at the fact that it's, it's not possible or whatever, but sadly this is our reality. Uh, but we still feel that it shouldn't be, so we laugh at it. Uh, so we yeah. still feel the fear afterwards of like, uh-oh, I guess <laughs> this is going to happen. Do you think it's it's good that we're still able to laugh at it, or do you think it means that we're still denying the reality in some way? Um, I mean, we're sort of limited in what we can do. <laughs> so I, I think that um, we're sort I think it's just like, laughter and resignation almost so uh, or or i was thinking maybe it's it's laughter because even though it's really bad we're still retaining in the back of our minds the conviction that evil even this evil is as Rand would say what they call metaphysically impotent that it's insignificant in the grand scheme of things that eventually the good and the right and the true is going to win out despite all of this virtually inconceivable stuff that we're seeing in the election cycle. Um, that's a possibility. I, I mean, I, people can do laugh for different reasons, but I, I think uh, I laugh and because at least, at least I know how messed up this is, and I, I'm like, I under, like, I'm not gonna let this like destroy my life. Yeah. Like, uh, so I have to retain some happiness. Right. Anything else before I let you go, Waldo? I've got a few things over at the blog that I got to catch before the end of the show time. I really am uh, glad that you called, and I've enjoyed kind of bouncing back and forth with you today. Yeah, great. It's always great calling and talking with you. Um, yeah, nothing really else. I mean, I saw in your notes that you were going to mention Peacock last last podcast, and yeah. you know, I started hearing it since. Like when it came out in 2007 or right after, I was still in college and I started listening to it and it was just amazing. And it it sucks that it's gonna finally end, but you know he has his life to live and he has his own goals he wants to do. So definitely, uh, he has he should go on and keep writing his book uh, and leave the podcast be. But luckily, we have people like you and Yaron Brook on his show having your own show. So even though the Peacock podcast is going to end, we have you and Geraldine to listen to. So that's great. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, I don't have his wisdom. What I need to do is go back and listen to the whole catalog of those again and then kind of bring it back to me in, in light of my own life experience, and then maybe I can hope to follow in his footsteps. So I agree, Waldo. It's a tremendous loss. All right, and, and that's it. So uh, uh, thanks for taking Thank my you. call, and have a great, great. day, Amy. Okay, great. Hopefully we'll be able to talk again next week. I do have another call here that I didn't see before. I'm going to go ahead and grab it really quick for a couple minutes at least before I plow through the remaining program notes. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hi, Amy. It's Matt. Matt, welcome. How are you? Yeah, good. Hey, I wanted to bring up one thing, just maybe a little off topic for you, but it's kind of illuminating. Uh, You use the term... Uh, an Uncle Tom. Yeah, and that Peter Thiel might be seen as an, an Uncle Tom within the homosexual community. Well, have you ever read Uncle Tom's Cabin? No, but I'm guessing that this might be a diversion that's going to be a bit off topic. Does it does it relate to the <laughs> topic of this show? 
Uh, well, you might be you might be fascinated by it because Uncle Tom in the book is a moral hero. And okay. so using him, so using that term as an epithet is really, uh, well, it's not good. Uh, okay. Because if you, okay. If, so, 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 so yeah. basically, basically I have some investigation to do to see if I would actually want to sign on to even using that term. I would never use the term myself anyway. Right. But there are right. a lot of people within either, I mean, this is mostly of course, within the black or African-American community where they would refer to someone like a Clarence Thomas, for example, as an uncle Tom, I would never use it, but yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have some work to do. So, so is that one of your pet peeves? Because you actually know (laughs) the truth behind this, that every time you hear somebody say this, it just grates on you and you feel like you have to correct them. Very true. (laughs) Yes. And, and, and okay. So mine, mine is the phrase begging the question. I just okay. kind of following in Leonard Peikoff's footsteps ended up teaching introductory logic for a while. And so I learned what the proper meaning of begging the question is. It's, uh, you know, when you are making an argument that is circular, that assumes the conclusion that it's trying to prove as part of the proof itself. And that's what begging the question means. But there's a whole bunch of people out there who like to use the phrase begs the question because it sounds so sophisticated. Oh. But all, all they really mean is that something raises the question, not that it really begs the question. And so I go around doing the same. So, um, Matt, I, I appreciate it. I am going to have to just uh, say thanks and, and goodbye for now, only because I've got a pile of program notes. But I do appreciate it, and I'm going to be careful next time I think of even using that phrase that per- perhaps I have some research to do first. So I do thank you for your call on that. Um, I did mention this issue of the Trump lawyers are given a court date over the lawsuit alleging a rape of a 13-year-old girl. There's nothing that's been established there. It's a bare allegation. They're not going to have a hearing to even see if they're going to have a case until December. So it's just something that's out there trying to cast some sort of shadow over the Trump campaign. The, you know, the way that I'm looking at all of the revelations in the last few weeks, I started thinking about dueling October surprises and of course dueling banjos had come to mind and I was posting dueling banjos out there on social media. What's the difference? Dueling banjos is so benevolent compared to this atmosphere that's been created by the dueling October surprises out there. Um, Also over at the blog at don'tletitgo.com in the program notes, I have a little bit of anecdotal evidence about the effects of Obamacare on health insurance rates, in particular my health insurance rates in California. The uh, premium for a so-called comparable plan goes up only about 13%, but as you could anticipate, the changes in the constellation of benefits that are offered would probably represent an increase of another 13% on expenses that I could expect within the next year. I haven't done the math. And of course, it's sort of impossible to do the math because you don't know in advance which benefits you're going to avail yourself of. You don't know what's going to hit you health-wise. The biggest thing, though, is those of us who are trying to stay in a so-called PPO, a preferred preferred provider organization, try not to go to you guys too much, right? Preferred provider organization, those of us who are trying to do that are not able to do so very much anymore because these plans are being morphed ever so slowly into what's called an uh, exclusive provider organization. And um, 
those give you fewer choices, fewer so-called out-of-network benefits. So they're still calling them PPOs this year, but I even wonder whether calling some of these plans a PPO anymore is false advertising because of the decrease in benefits for out-of-network expenses. You might as well just call it an EPO with a few, you know, a little bit of window dressing of out-of-network benefits. It's getting that bad. We are indeed with Obamacare, the frog in the pot, where the pot is being not so slowly actually brought to a boil. A couple more stories. New Obama vacation costs uncovered now exceed $70 million. Good riddance to the Obamas who have spent millions and millions and millions of our tax dollars having lavish vacations. You know, Hillary Clinton, if she's in office, she's just going to have the Saudi king, you know, pay for her lavish vacations. Uh, You should look into what Garrett Wilders is having to contend with over in his country. Um, He is being brought up on hate speech charges. And the trial is apparently such a farce that he is refusing to sanction it by his presence. I guess he's just having his attorney there in his stead. Um, Has he said some things that I wouldn't say exactly the way that he says them? Sure. Uh, Should he be able to say them? Should he not be brought up to trial for saying them? Most definitely. Um, So we do wish him the best. We do hope that free speech is going to continue to reign um, there in Holland. Um, Then Leonard Peikoff's final podcast. I have a link to that over at don'tletitgo.com. I do recommend that you go check it out. I was only able to listen to the first several minutes of it this morning. There's about 38 minutes there for you to listen to that I would recommend checking out. Um, And of course, go back and review. And whenever you've got something that you want to see, if he said something about, you go to his blog at peakoff.com and you use the robust search engine capacity that they've got there. So, you know, he estimated that he's done somewhere between two and 3,000 answers to questions over the years. And perhaps if there is a topic that you wondered what he thought about it, you'd be able to find that there, even though he's no longer doing a podcast. Um, Everyone, again, go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com if you want to continue the conversation. Also over on social media, Amy Peikoff on Facebook. I have a Don't Let It Go on Herd page on Facebook. And Amy Peikoff on Twitter. Don't Let It Go on Instagram. Thanks for joining me today. And we will talk this time next week for sure. But also I believe I'm going to be able to finally do a second show this week on Wednesday at this same time, 3 p.m. Pacific time. Take care. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.